Gabriel Media presents The Brooke Taylor Show Encounter, Adventure, Evangelize And now your host, Brooke Taylor Welcome, welcome to The Brooke Taylor Show Well, hello, thank you for being a part of this bonus episode This is a special show today brought to you by our sponsor Select International Tours and Cruises A pilgrimage is more than just a trip Sacred travel is an opportunity to travel with others who share your love of adventure and encounter Father John Michael Paul, the pro-provincial of the Americas for the community of St. John, is, in my humble opinion, one of the greatest spiritual shepherds in the world to travel with. We've been partnering for pilgrimages for four years now, and a pilgrimage is a type of trip where the right shepherd, the right guide, the right company can make all the difference. And this is what I love, whether Father is visiting a village in Cameroon or a priory in Corsica or hiking in Colombia, he brings his depth of knowledge and language and love of the Lord on pilgrimage with us, and we always work hard to provide the best experience. And through my own years in media, it's my job to curate a second-to-none itinerary and communicate all the details from preparing for the trip, especially in times like these, to processing on the journey itself. And our guides are the best. It really is a special transformative experience to join us on pilgrimage. So I invite you as we travel to Oberammergau, Germany for the world famous Passion Play next June 2022. We're less than a year away now and what a beautiful time of year it will be to travel to Munich and Lourdes and Paris and more and would love to share that with you. So to find out more, visit selectinternationaltours.com slash BTS. That stands for The Brooke Taylor Show. That's selectinternationaltours.com slash BTS. And along with the team from Select International, I recently attended the Catholic Marketing Network trade show Momentum 21 right near Chicago in Schaumburg, Illinois. And that was actually the theme of the last show before we wrapped up for the season. Kathy Gilmore, the director of the event, joining me to give us the full scoop, and she did. And everything she said was just as I imagined, if not better. It was my first experience at CMN and it did not disappoint. It was neat to be able to share it with my friend and my ministry assistant as well, Christina. And that was fun too, because it gave us an opportunity to have a rare trip together, to pack up our nice church clothes, to get out there and have a little road trip. It, it's been a while since we've been able to do that. So that was really fun. And it was also fantastic. There's so many things, but it was so fantastic to meet other Catholic speakers, the vendors, the priests, the nuns, the sisters and brothers in Christ. And that's my hope is to bring you into that experience, not just today on this episode, but on future shows to come. There was a line of tables and podcasters and microphones and mixers with the Select International podcast section. And so I was camped out along with Nick De La Torre from Awaken Catholic, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, who is our guest on today's show, and just a great team of broadcasters. So I was working hard. I, I, I did spend time with Father Frank Pavone. He's a friend of the show. He's been on before. And also, of course, the president of Priests for Life. And so you'll hear an update with Father Pavone, Sister John Dominic from the Dominican Sisters in Ann Arbor. And what a story she has, a convert to the faith, no less. So I can't wait until you hear her story. But also, she's the founder of Virtues Education that is being implemented in dioceses, in Catholic schools all over, also homeschool programs and curriculum. So I'm looking forward to that conversation as well. And an exclusive interview with Nick, Nick Delatori from Awaken Catholic, because I honestly, I wasn't familiar 
until just recently with their apostolate, and they are doing a lot. He was live streaming from the conference. They have an entire media team, and his personal story blew me away. So I had an opportunity to sit down and interview him. All of that is a little preview of what's to come. You'll be hearing all of those interviews when the new season of the show launches. So here on the podcast and on Cleveland Catholic Radio, AM 1260 The Rock, the first episode of the new season will air on Wednesday, September 8th. So this will be Wednesday morning drive, 8 a.m. in Cleveland, but also on the podcast, the show will drop every Wednesday, a brand new episode once a week, and that will go through the week before Christmas. Planning, production, everything already underway, as I mentioned. And that was just a peek of what's to come on the upcoming seasons. So we say, come Holy Spirit, renew the hearts of the faithful, renew the face of the earth. And any little way that we can be obedient, ignite the fire, live the faith, preach the gospel, proclaim the beauty of the church, what an honor that is. So let's jump in. This is a fantastic interview today, taking you inside the vendor hall with my podcast table body right next to me, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, as we sit down for a conversation, as he shares his testimony, as he talks about his favorite books, his incredible model for marriage prep, and so much more. Take a listen. Welcome. Welcome to the show. This is an exciting moment for me, and I hope for you as well, because of who I am sitting down with today. I am broadcasting from the Catholic Media Network Conference, Momentum 21. St. Joseph is our patron. We are in Schamburg, Illinois, at the Select International Tours and Cruises booth. And it's an impressive lineup, I think. We have Nick De La Torre, Hector Molina's booth was here, and also next to me is Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. And so glad to get you on the show for the first time to meet in person. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm really uh, honored and, and, and blessed to be here. Thank you, Brooke. And providentially, we are going to be hosting a podcast session together. So there, so there's a little bit of pressure. We better get this right, <laughs> right here. But I'm so excited about that. So yeah. we'll be doing that as well. This is an opportunity to meet in person. And you are so well known in Catholic culture and our faith and our church. But for those that don't know your story, I wanted to begin with your biography and then what you're doing now. I didn't know all of these details. I feel like I know your story pretty well. But I was reading that you were born in Barbados. Yes. A lot of people know that in the Caribbean. Your dad was a Calypso singer. Yes, he was. And your dad, you said, had three loves. It was alcohol, women, and cigarettes. Yeah. That was your dad's three loves. And he never went to church. That's right. Tell us about that. What about your mom? What was that dynamic like for you? Yeah, so my mom was Methodist who became Catholic. And I'm the oldest child of their marriage. So I'm, the, uh, I'm the first baptized. He was the first Catholic. I'm the first baptized Catholic. So okay. my mom, when we came to the U.S., my mom was very staunch, passionately Catholic. And I remember clearly kneeling us down, me and my brother, who's a year younger than me, and my other brother, and she would teach us our prayers. Our Father, we repeat our Father, who art in heaven, we repeat after our Father, Hail Mary, glory be to the Father, angel of God prayer. Yes, And then we pray dear. for our relatives and friends and things. And every night, and uh, mom took us to church, and um, it was there. It, I, I remember at nine years old, my mom, uh, putting me at the end of the pew and she was next to me and then my siblings on the other side of her because they were normal kids like throwing Cheerios or whatever. <laughs> but I was like laser focused on what was going on at the altar. And I remember mm -hmm. at nine thinking to myself, there's something really cool going on up there. I don't exactly sure what it is, but I like it. And uh, then I started serving mass, which I, oh, 
And to this day, I love being on the altar. I was like, I still get that kid-like excitement. And faith is a grace. I'm thinking about Padre Pio from a very young age. His holiness was so evident. So it sounds like for you, it was always there. Yeah, it's something that has always been there. Some of my friends made fun of me about it, which I didn't care. And oh, I love serving mass. And then I thought I might be called to the priesthood. Or, and then I went to a Benedictine High School, St. Benedict's Prep in Newark. And the monks had a come and see program, which I did all four years of high school. Um, the first person in my family ever to go to college. So I got an academic scholarship in Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Went to ND worked for a year, then joined the monastery. And I thought, I'm doing everything that God needs me to do, God wants me to do. And I was very happy there until my mom, the, the divorced, my parents got divorced during that time mm-hmm. I was in Indy. And then um, my mom got sick and almost died. So I left the monastery to take care of her because my sister was still in high school. So I had to make sure she ate and got the school, paid the mortgage, all that uh-huh. stuff, while my mom convalesced. And I went to a wedding and okay. met the person who ended up being my wife at the wedding. Colleen. Colleen. So, <laughs> can't go back to the monastery. <laughs> but she's from Oregon, and that's how I got out there. Did that take you by surprise? You had everything. You thought you had a call, your vocation was set, and then Colleen comes into the picture. Yeah, so that took me, because I never thought I'd be married, because I really had no desire to be married after watching my parents' yeah. marriage up in the monastery and have to worry about that. But then, you know, it was, it was, it was we had our ups and downs. It was complicated, mostly because... I did not know how to function properly in that relationship. Um, I wasn't sure if I could be a, a good husband or a father, you know. Um, and so I had to learn a lot from her, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. You know, which, which actually Pope John Paul talks about that in his document for women, Mulieris de Tatum, on the identification of women. He says, um, a man has to learn his fatherhood from the mother. And I never understood that till I was in that situation myself. Wow. You know, and, and you were living it. Yeah, you know, and I was living it. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. And so, in fact, we're coming up on our 27-year wedding anniversary now. Congratulations. And it was going to Oregon that I discovered the diaconal vocation. But in you the know? midst of this, your parents get divorced in college. Your yeah. dad obviously did not have a great conversion that you had hoped for. So during yeah. these years, what was your relationship with, like, with your dad? I had no relationship with him. When I joined the monastery, my dad was angry to put it i mean i'm the first person i family ever go to college i go to notre dame he thinks oh i'm gonna be on wall street make a million dollars instead i go into a monastery he's embarrassed to tell his friends what am i you know and so our interaction was not very pleasant and i basically considered him dead to me after that and i joined a monastery and i didn't didn't speak to for 18 years so i got married didn't you know no communication with him birth announcement for the kids nothing but that all changed when my first series came out on EWTN called Behold the Man. When it started airing internationally, it aired in my country, and someone called my dad, ain't that your son on TV? So he flips the EWTN, and there I am, talking about what it means to be an authentically Catholic man. So he was intrigued. You got his attention. Yeah, he was intrigued, but here's the, here's the thing. He started watching a network when I wasn't on. <laughs> And he starts watching Mother Angelica. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Here's a man who's not baptized, womanized. He has 15 other kids from other women, besides the four of us with my mom. Alcohol, and so tore our family apart, like destroyed our family. And he's watching EWTN. So when we finally reconciled, I I said, Pop. And for those that haven't, I think most of the audience is very familiar with EWTN. But if you don't know EWTN, it's very you can't get more Catholic, and it's yes. incredible how many people are attracted to that because there is everything is cut away, and you just have the bullseye truth. So that obviously hooked him somewhere. And 
I'm sure I'm, I'm thinking as you're talking, because I don't know the whole history of your dad's story, that there's a cycle of brokenness or woundedness. Oh, and... yeah. I didn't know any of my grandfathers at all. No, I mean, I knew one of my, because when we came to the United States, my mother's mom my, came and lived with us. I never really, I met my other grandmother a couple of times because she stayed in Barbados, uh, but I never knew my grandfathers okay. at all. So I really had no strong male role models in my life, except when I, you know, uh, my scoutmaster, the, the monks and some of my teachers in high school, those were strong male role models for me. So was it a challenge to relate to Abba, Daddy, God, the Father, or with that gift of faith that you had since being a little boy, was that a natural connection to our Lord? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, there was a natural connection, so it was never an issue for me, but for my siblings, it was. My younger brother, who was born in Barbados with me, is a year younger than I am, stopped going to church. My other brother, who was born here, stopped going to church. Although he's back now, part of that was my dad's conversion, because he thought, because my, my other brother said, if, if marriage is like what we went through, I don't have anything to do with it. And he stopped going to church because God the Father and our Father, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. But it never really bothered me because I knew that God's love as Father transcends human love and that we're all um, uh, sinners and we're all weak and we all have our issues, yeah. you know? Um, but, but what turned things around, my dad was watching Mother Angelica. I said, wait a minute, woman, this guy's a womanizer and he's watching Mother Angelica. And, I, and so I asked him, I said, what? why were you watching Mother Angelica? He said, she just made so much sense. And she did. Because mother just gave it to you straight. Yes. You know, she, just, she was like this towering <laughs> intellect. She just gave you the straight. And my, it, it somehow attracted my dad. You know, so he was no, just not just watching me. I'm amazed how Angelica. many men love Mother Angelica. We have that maternal figure in her. Because I, I know I interview Paul Darrow and so many people, men, who love that direct, no-nonsense truth. That's and she's it. still loving and charitable. Yes. There's something you just, but you feel this, this charity. She won't water it down. Mm -hmm. So that for him was something that got his attention. And then what came after that in terms of yeah. your relationship? Did he, did he begin to reach out? Because yeah. yeah. there's so, so many was, years so of hurt. It took a year of, of EWTN and other things started really moving his heart before he reached out to me. He called me. I'll never forget, I was driving home from work. Phone rang. Saw the New Jersey area code, didn't recognize the number. Oh, it's maybe one of my friends. Asked the phone, it was him. And I was like, what the heck is going on here? So I, I pull over to the side of the road and I'm like, what's, I'm thinking to myself, what's going on? He starts talking about Jesus. So, so we talked for so 31 So it sounded minutes. like a different man. We talked to, for 31 minutes and 12 seconds. And I hung up the phone and I remember being angry, like livid in the car, I remember yelling to myself, who the hell does he think he is to call me after 18 years to tell me about Jesus? He don't know Jesus, I know Jesus. I'm the one on EW10, that whole thing, you know? Yeah. Because I thought he's, an, he's another, you know, another story, another lie, another yeah. facade he's putting on. And I said, Lord, if this is from you, show me, because I don't believe anything that comes out of that lying pig's mouth. I said it just like that. Then about 10 days later, the Lord, uh, called me to speak in New Jersey, first time speaking in my home state, at a parish one mile away from my father's apartment. I took it as a sign. Confirmation. So I went and, and stayed with my brother. Whenever I go back to Jersey, I stay with him, and he arranged for me to see my dad. My dad walks in, he, um, I almost didn't recognize him because he had lost half his body weight because he had cancer, mm. prostate cancer. And I'm shocked, and he's just saying, 
hey son, it's good to see you. And I'm, you know, getting over what I'm seeing. So finally I'm waiting to hear, I'm sorry son, right? I'm sorry for the hell I put you and your mother and your siblings through for all those years. I'm sorry I missed your graduation because I was drunk. I'm sorry that even though you were an, an all-star wrestler, I didn't come to one of your wrestling matches your senior year. I, I'm waiting to hear that. And all he's talking about is the person he is now. And the Lord taught me a huge lesson that night. The Lord said, look, you know what happened back then. And he knows what happened back then. There's nothing either one of you can do to change that. Deal with the person I have in front of you now. This time you had been on UWTN, and I always find that when we're in our car and it's a beautiful day and we're listening to Christian music, it's so easy to be a follower of Christ. Everything's going our way. We know that we're blessed. Those concepts that you helped others learn and understand, you have to live out. That's that muscle you have to flex. And that is, it's so hard, especially when it's family and it's things that you feel justified because of the hurt and the, the sin involved. And so at that moment, it sounds like it was truly a grace. Where yeah. Mercy, God's mercy. Yeah, and I, I you know, and so and my, my dad was still singing and songwriting, and he, and he, he sung a song about divine mercy. And I'm like, okay, I, I said, stop, stop, stop. Look, and I got in his face, like literally in his face, and I said, I'm going to ask you a question right now. If you ever loved me even once as your son, don't lie to me. So what happened to you? all this talk about Mary and mercy. And he looked me dead in the face and he said, the blessed mother and divine mercy. Just like that. And I'm like, this guy ain't even baptized, never go to church. And he's telling me what changed everything to him was the blessed mother and divine mercy. I didn't even know he knew what that was. Wow. And that's the difference from Mother Angela. And so that brought our relationship to a certain level of healing. But it was a couple years later, actually, in 2000, that was 2009. And you knew he was telling you the truth. He had yes. told you oh, a lot yeah. of There's lies. No way you could fake yeah. that. There's no way you could yeah. fake that. None. Um, but the big thing was he actually reconciled with my mom. He came to Oregon, um, which was interesting because he wanted to meet my wife and kids for the first time. And, uh, but I, I told the kids that he was dead. I told the kids that they asked, they asked about their grandfather, said he's dead. So now he wants to see them. I said, what do I do now? Oh. <laughs> so my wife said, well, Jesus did raise the dead, didn't he? I'm like, okay. <laughs> and so he came out. We had an amazing weekend of, of healing and reconciliation. And he reconciled with my mom. My mom was living with us mm, at this okay. time. She, she, when she got ill that first time was in a monastery, that started a 20-year decline in her health. So she was living with us. And my father, they reconciled that weekend. I don't know because I wasn't in the room because I, I stepped out. I, I still just don't know what they talked about. They're both deceased now. But all I know is that my mom said her prayers were answered. They never started living together, never remarried right. anything. But my, my mom never took her wedding ring off. To the day she died, uh -huh. she never took that ring off. Well, the woman you describe, her piety, uh, her humility, her love, uh, her loyalty. Yes. It sounds like, um, what a woman. What a woman, yeah. what a prototype to help um, lead you where you were. And, and she taught me the meaning of sacrifice. I remember, she's a cardiac care nurse. She worked the graveyard shift. I remember her going to work with runs in her stockings and holes in her shoes. Uh -huh. Back when the nurses wore those white oh, yeah. outfits with the white hat, my mom looked good going to work, boy. <laughs> Chris. You know, but, but, but she would go with holes in her stuff because we needed stuff. <laughs> yeah. And I saw those hours of overtime that she worked and all the stuff that she did to make sure that we were taken care of and that she was preparing us to have a better life than she had.
And, and, and it kind of goes back to what you're saying about Pope John Paul II and how woman leads man into fatherhood. And you look at these women that impacted your dad's life in your life, your mom, Blessed Mother, Mother Angelica, and the incredible way reconciliation, healing, holiness was ushered forth. It's just incredible. And I think one of the things that I love in your ministry that you do now today, you do so much, you, you and your wife Colleen have four children, right? Yes. Is you remind me so much of the little way that it isn't, even though you're larger than life, you're dynamic when you speak and preach, it's powerful. It's also in the little things too. And when you offer ministering words of wisdom to families, you say, go as a family to adoration, pray the rosary together. Can you maybe share just some things in your own family, the little way that you put into practice to help form your children and lead them? Sure. Now, we, we had our kids pretty close together. <laughs> so at, at the time we had the twins, we had a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and newborn twins, you know? So we were teaching their prayers. That's a lot of sleepless uh, nights. Oh, yeah. I didn't, I, sleep deprivation, what an interesting thing. That yes. Is. Oh, it if is. If we didn't have pictures of the kids, I would not remember that first year at all. I know. Um, and, and so what we did was, we again, simple things. So good rosary. We wanted to kill two birds with one stone. Trying to get kids small like that to, to sit still for a rosary ain't gonna happen. Yeah. So what we did was this. We broke the mysteries down to five days. So the joyful mysteries. Monday, Annunciation. Tuesday, Visitation. Wednesday, the Nativity. Thursday, Presentation of the Temple. Friday, Finding of the Child Jesus in the Temple. We do one mystery a day, and then I talk at, the, at their level about what this mystery is about, and then we learn our Father, Him, they had to learn them anyway. Right. So they wrotely, learn those prayers and then we're, as they got older then they took turns leading it once they memorized them you know and it's and it, it's all one mystery a night that's you can hand up but they're learning yeah. the rose you see and from the very earliest the, yes, stages and, and watching me pray the office every day yeah you know as a deacon i was a monk so i actually pray the full office every day not just um not and just that's intimidating and for a lot yeah. of people i think that is why especially those that are coming into the faith cold or didn't grow up with some traditional devotions in their home. My husband is a convert, but he fell in love really through the office. And particularly in the last year, he's, we've always pr- prayed the rosary. We've gone to adoration, divine mercy chaplet. And he found, you know, with the ribbons and that speaks uh, yes. to his charism. It speaks to his intellect and the way that he likes to pray. But it is intimidating because I want to, <laughs> and sometimes I do. I'll do. I'll do lauds. Sometimes I'll do vespers. But what do you say to the person who who says, "I don't even know where to start with that"? Do I need to do that? It really is the prayer of the church in a lot of ways. Yeah. In fact, in fact, it's one of the things that Vatican II called for. If you read Sacrosanctum Concilium, the, the document on the on the, uh, the liturgy, it encourages parishes, at least on Sunday, to have a vesper service for the mm-hmm. parish where they're praying the office together as a community. And um, uh, I just love it, because it's the Psalms, right? And the yes. Hebrew, it's a Fetachim, the Book of Sun Praises. This is the ancient tradition goes back to, Jesus prayed the Psalms, he yes. prayed the Psalms on the cross. Yes. You know, and you see Christ hidden, you know, in the Psalms. Like Psalm 22, the Messianic Psalm of Fulfillment written by David. You know, they tear holes in my hands and my feet and lay me in the dust of death. They can count every one of my bones. These people stare at me and, and gloat. They throw dice for my clothes. 700 years before the crucifixion. 700 years. David's, so, so we see our Lord Jesus in the Psalms. I love the Psalms and I've been praying them for 
gosh, probably for over 40 years now, because when I started when I was in high school and yeah. I was in a monastery. And so, um, I, and as my life, and I get older and things change and kids, and now we're at the other end of the spectrum now, they're all you know, adults now, and, and, and how my life has changed, my experiences, and the Psalms speak to every aspect, every dimension of my life. And I see myself, my lived experience, and my intimacy with the Lord in those Psalms. I never get tired of praying them. C.S. Lewis has a wonderful book on the Psalms where he goes into the meditations. I think it's yes. little known, but yes. I love, first of all, he's so brilliant, but the way that he looks at, whether it's the imprecatory Psalms or the Psalms of praise or the Psalms of lament, and like you just said, so powerful. And this again is in some ways, it's the little way. It's not asking you to do mortifications all day and, and be in, because we know that this is a busy time, especially depending on what area of life you're in, if you're to have little ones, but these are just small ways, the little way. You can pray the psalm, pray the rosary, just one decade if, if you need to, which I love. I asked Father Pavone this yesterday, and I think I want to ask it all the time because I'm really curious to know, you disciple so many. Who disciples you? Where do you go for your spiritual direction and even your own ongoing formation? Yeah, so um, as a deacon in our diocese, we're required to have priests as spiritual directors. So I have a spiritual director who's a priest in, in the diocese. Um, but also through this speaking apostle, I've become very good friends, um, not just as a speaker, but like at a, at a personal level. So we, I can talk uh, at a deeper level. Um, one of them is Father Mitch Pacwa, who's oh, my yeah. scripture professor in graduate school. So my Greek and Hebrew okay. comes from him. Um, uh, Father Larry Richards, very close friend. Father Callaway and I text each other every week, like literally That's every so week we're in contact. So, so there are men that I can talk to at a deeper level that I get spiritual enrichment and fulfillment from, not just at speaking at events together, but offline. Yeah. You know, we could just be men together and, and talk about our relationship with the Lord and talk about things going on in our lives and stuff like that, you know, so it's wonderful. And I, and I, am, I am a bookaholic. I have about 3,600 books in my library oh, at home. I am I, I'm buying jealous. books all the time. <laughs> you know, sometimes we look at my webcast, you see the books behind me. People say, that's a lot of books. I said, that, that, ain't, that literally is not even half of the yeah. books that, that's in that room. You know, so I, I immerse myself in all different types of topics of the faith. Because uh, the more I learn, the more I realize how much I don't know. I know. And that fuels my desire even more. I think for all of us, that, that's a beautiful truth and understanding and challenge. I think it was Dr. Peter Kreeft, I had a chance to interview him, and we were talking about the importance of building a good, robust library. In some ways, we are like in the dark ages. Of course, we've never had more access to media and information, but the truths, the things that will illuminate our soul, the indwelling of the triune God and Our Lady, Queen of Heaven and the saints and understanding theology. So many people don't have a good library, let alone a catechism, some of the basic things. And so what an opportunity for us to pass on these heirlooms to our children, whether it's the imitation of Christ by Thomas Kempis oh, or just book. just the, the, yeah. the scripture, the Dewey Rames, the different translations of the Bibles that are our favorites and why. I know this is really hard, but if you could maybe cherry pick some Deacon Harold must have books. Ah, That's okay. really hard because okay. there's so many different there's themes. So you many. have Fulton yeah, Sheen, so you have Aquinas. I have a few go-tos that the pages are thin. They're so worn. They're highlighted. They're dog-eared. So yours that you have, maybe a few you could mention. Wow. That's a great, that's a, that's, that's <laughs> to do. I, I think the, the lives of the saints, particularly the Deacon saints, are guys that I go back to for inspiration. 
especially my diaconal ministry. So Vincent, Ephraim, Lawrence, Francis of Assisi, Stephen, reading about their lives. Francis of Assisi, deacon. Yes. A lot of people realize don't realize that. Yeah, that. he's a permanent deacon. Yeah. He didn't consider himself worthy enough to be a priest, so he remained a permanent deacon his entire life. And of course, started the Franciscans. You know, right, yes. I think The Life of Christ by Fulton Sheen is something that I, uh, Three to Get Married is another one by oh, Fulton yeah. Sheen. I, I've been reading a lot John Paul II's writings. I've, I, I've always felt drawn to him for my whole life. Yeah. You know, he's like my Pope. You know, I kind of got that personal relationship with him. Yeah. I've been going back and rereading a lot of his encyclicals and apostolic exhortations, Theology of the Body, um, really immersing myself in that. I'm, I love Brant Petrie, of contemporary guys, Brant Petrie, uh, Scott Hahn, of course, like everybody yes. loves Scott Hahn, you know. Yes. Um, just it's going deeper and learning, especially I've been going back and, and, and studying Hebrew deeper, mm -hmm. levels of Hebrew, and uh, so I'm trying to read some of the, the scriptures now in Hebrew. So it's a, a, a lot of different things that I pull from. Jordan Armand's book on uh, Introduction to Spirituality is uh, Spiritual Theology is one I draw. Hans Urs von Balthasar's book on prayer oh, is yeah. just like, you know, mind You need blowing. to do a Deacon Herald's book list. You really should. Because yeah, people want to know they're hungry yeah. for, they don't even know where to start. People, uh, people say, I want to read what you're reading. Like, what do you have in your bag right now when you're traveling? Yeah. I usually have three or four things in my bag. Me too. I said, you probably don't want to read what I'm, oh no, I wouldn't want to know. <laughs> well, I'm reading an article in Communio <laughs> called The Origins of Prophetic Eschatology in Light of Ephraimite Levitical Narrative Tradition. Like, oh yeah, you're that right. That just Deacon. rolls off the tongue. Yeah, like, yeah, you're right. I, I don't want to read that. You know. <laughs> so, so what I try to do is. But you didn't start there. See how the yeah. Lord brought you deeper and through. And but, this is the beauty even, of our faith. But people say, well, why? I, first of all, I love the intellectual life. But, but the other thing is, my job is to take all of that stuff, and how do I get it across in people's lives in a way that's meaningful? Amen. Because trying and to understandable smart is, is dumb, actually. Oh, I could do it. I could talk about all the circumcision, divine perichoresis. Who cares? Right. How does that make a difference in your life when your kids are away from the church? That's right. When you're struggling with this cancel culture and transgenderism and all these attacks on our faith, how do you stand up and stay strong in your faith? How do you, that's the stuff. Yeah. You know, so I could be all smart I want, but it doesn't matter if, if, if people don't fall deeply and intimately in love with Jesus Christ and the truth of the faith. Amen. And that's what we need to focus on. And the human person, just the very basics that seem to have been deconstructed, removed, oh, and rebuilt. Oh, it's being attacked by critical race theory. I'm writing a book right now for Ignatius Press on the Catholic response to racism called Building a Civilization of Love. And one of the things I'm critiquing in there is critical race theory. So I'm reading the, the authors of critical race, Derek Bell, uh, Richard Delgado, all the guys that are founders. I'm reading actually their books. That's something that's very, very much missing, the dignity of the human person. Yeah. You know, I'm being very critical of critical race theory and and I'm going to show clearly and definitively and objectively why Catholics should have nothing to do with it. Amen. Thank you. And you talk a little bit about that in your new book. It's called Our Life of Service, the Handbook for Catholic Deacons. One of the things you talk about, first of all, the book is fantastic. Even just paging through, you have, you open the book with what is a deacon. And so not only do you answer that theologically, practically, but then you go into a deacon's life, what your schedule is every day. I really like that. Yeah, yeah. You also talk about uniting a culturally diverse parish, your current parish. It sounds like this beautiful blend mm -hmm. of cultures and heritages and it's wonderful. I imagine it's also challenging. And you go into saying, let change begin with me. But yes. how do we bridge and foster the body of Christ, the community, the family of brothers and sisters we are, and also honor those differences? Yeah, well, the thing is, we don't think about it very much. You know, I had a guy call me the other day because he wanted to help. He goes, 
our parish is Country Club, Club White. And we have all, you know, we're in a neighborhood that has this rich diversity, but no one's coming to our parish. Why? You know, and I, because we, we need help to figure this out. I said, well, first of all, the fact that you even recognize that that's a problem says a lot about where you're heading to. Right. What, what brought this to the attention was all the racial tension going on. Mm -hmm. And so they started looking inward at themselves. I said, well, how can we be more welcome? I said, here's something easy, potluck. Everybody loves food, man. Right? <laughs> invite invite the, the, the people from the black parish or the Hispanic parish or the Native American parish. Just come have a potluck over here. Everybody bring their native food, everybody enjoying themselves, and then have them get up and talk about what their experience has been like being a Catholic in this parish, in this diocese. In the food is the way to our heart. And, and, and that's it's, it. Yeah. And now you're listening to people's stories, listening to yes. people's experience. You're like, wow, they have four kids just like I do. They have the same challenge with their kids as I do. But they have to deal with the additional fact that there's, there's some ostracization and some other things going on because like they just don't think about these other groups of people. Um, honoring states, like in our, what we did in our parish, it was a German and Irish parish back in the day, but now it's anything but German and Irish. <laughs> but, we, but we still have St. Boniface and St. Patrick, but now we have St. Takeri Tatikwitha, mm -hmm. we have Our Lady of Lavang, a beautiful, because half our parish is Vietnamese, beautiful Vietnamese statue of Our Lady with the, with our, the Lord, with Vietnamese features, oh, it's gorgeous. We have St. Martin de Porres. We have icon mm -hmm. screens, because now the church looks like our right. community. So you're saying you know? incorporate the saints. Sure, so you can of, be at Elizabeth and Seton, but have other right. pictures of other saints there of, of diversity. So, hey, these are part of our church as well. One thing I love in these conversations is every single soul listening can think, what about my church? Where am I at? What is that like? How can I where I am be a missionary. And for us, one idea to offer that I really believe is the prompting of the Holy Spirit because it's the only explanation. My dear sister in Christ, my friend for many years, Pastor Linda Isaiah, she was a grief pastor in downtown Akron at a parish, at a church there. It's Protestant church. And we decided to do this event called Laughing Matters. We looked at Proverbs. She laughs at the days to come. My friend Linda is so funny, but she is also so potent and powerful in her preaching. And so we brought our community communities together, she brought an enormous contingent of women from her church. And she said, and she told me, she said, my people, they don't like to drive at night on the highway. They, and so these are the things that we need in order for, for us to come. And I was telling her about my parish ladies and our group. So it was this wonderful mix of black and white women of all different ages. We got together and we celebrated, we laughed together, and then we broke out in small groups because it's the conversations and realizing my son is away from the church, mine too. It might be a different church, it might be a different faith tradition, but the griefs in our heart, the sorrow that we carry as mothers, the love that we have for our children, that is so strong and powerful. And the stories and the fruit from that one event, we did it again then, is extraordinary. Women kept in touch. This is what I think, it's the little way it's the little way that helps foster the love in the, the community. And I know maybe for guys it's different because girls, we like to share. We want to share, we want to talk. So for men, it's different. But I think, like you said, the potluck, it might be the food. One thing before we wrap up, I know we have to go, is you talked about uh, Three to Get Married, Fulton Sheen. And part of your job as deacon is the, the pre-cana, the marriage prep. This is such a tough time because so many people are getting married outside of the church. I do a thing with my boys. I'll just sometimes randomly send them a picture of a beautiful bride and a gorgeous dress in a nice church because in our culture, we don't see people getting married in the church and there's nothing more beautiful before the altar, before our Lord, their family. And 
I know some people would probably criticize that, but I want to plant that image in their mind of this is beautiful. It's a sacrament. It should be in a church. And I know that with the culture, it's a beach. It's a barn. And I'm, I'm not, I truly, I'm not, I got married outside. I was away from the church, so we had our marriage validated later. So I'm, I'm truly not coming at this from a place of condemnation. What are you seeing when it comes to marriages? Are you hopeful? Are you depressed? <laughs> are you a little well, bit of both? I think, no, you, you hit the nail on the head. I think marriage preparation needs to be vastly improved. Think about this for a second. The way the sacraments are grouped, sacraments of initiation, um, sacraments of healing, sacraments for the service of communion. Those two sacraments service communion, holy orders and marriage. Okay, a priest spends five to seven years preparing to be a priest. And what do we spend, a weekend? Preparing for marriage for a lifetime? What's wrong with this picture? Yeah. You know, so, so the way we do it in our parish, I think it's maybe serves as a good model. So the young lady goes to father, look the ring, he did it, look, finally. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. They want to start talking about dates. Oh, 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 oh. Go see the deacon. It's 10 weeks with me. If they don't get past me, they don't get married. Why? Because we are preparing this couple to receive a sacrament of the Catholic Church that will last them their entire life, not to look good for pictures. So it's 10 weeks. I'm doing a couple right now, you know? Um, and, and they've been together, and she's Vietnamese. So the Vietnamese are, woo, they are some straight Catholics, boy. <laughs> the dude that married, she's marrying a guy who's not Catholic, but he's open to the Catholic faith. In fact, he was in my RCIA class this past year but he's not interested in coming to the church. So we're going through some stuff now and, and, and you know, bringing up some stuff for him. Because, I mean, mm. I do it in three areas. We talk about the theology of marriage, you know, go through scriptures and stuff like that. Then we talk about family life. Then I said, 10 things to divorce-proof your marriage. And that's why the couples have to struggle the most. And so you use these 10 things and never get divorced. Mm. Oh, great. Then we start going into detail into some of these things. Then they're like, oh, wait a minute, we never thought about that. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, and then they start, then you start to see the dynamic because now we're making it real. Right. You know, and they're getting into real. things. It's oh, the meat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. And that, if, if they if they split or they'll get, it's it, during that last that last several weeks, we're going through the 10 things of divorce before marriage. So we need to take this much more seriously mm -hmm. um, and spend much more time preparing these couples. Did you implement that? Yes, Is I that, did. So th that would be an amazing yeah, model. Yeah. So I have. Uh, I, I'm, I'm. Probably my next book will probably be. Uh, That's along really those good. Lines, well, yeah. the other thing too is that so many people are living together. How do we reverse that? That's, That's so tough... funny. You know, I get a lot of couples that that are living together, and so here's what I do. It's a very interesting little exercise I go through, and I say, um, "Hey, I see on the application you guys got the same address. You living together? Yeah. Um, well." You know that uh, you plan on getting divorced after you get married? No, we're in love. Duh, that's why we're here. And so, you know, half the people that get married get, get divorced. And it's almost that high for Catholics, you know, as well. And, and, and I said, um, you know, uh, why are you guys not getting, why are you not going to be in that category? Oh, come on, we're in love. You know, that's why we're here. We're going to give our lives to each other. And I said, ah, oh, okay. I said, well, we'll take a look at this. So I give them this little. Uh, executive summary from a study, totally secular study called um, Should We Live Together? Cohabitation. It's a meta-analytical study, so it takes the results of all the cohabitation studies, puts the results together in one report. Totally secular. It says the worst thing you can do before you get married is live together. So I give them that. Then I asked a question I want to ask to the guy. I said, hey, bro, uh, you plan on having sex with anybody other than your wife after you get married? No. But why are you doing it now? 
you having sex with somebody you're not married to? Then he's like, we're gonna get married. That's why we're here. We're gonna spend our whole lives together, you know? And here's, one guy said this to me, he actually said this to me. You gotta test drive the car before you buy it. So I said, oh, let me see if I understand what you're saying. So and these are just cultural maxims oh, that yeah, people throw yeah. out. And, yeah, yeah. So what would you guys mean? Oh, Facebook or Twi Tinder or whatever those <laughs> things are. So I, I said, so let me see if I got this straight. You get married. You got the ring on your finger now. You're getting used to calling each other husband and wife. Your wife gets hit by a drunk driver. She becomes a quadriplegic. You have the spoon feeder. Change your diapers. No sex for the rest of your life. And I lean in. That's the kind of relationship you're ready for? And every single time the girl goes like this. Because mm. I want to hear this too. Yeah. And the dude goes, uh, why? He's trapped. Because if he says yes, he's thinking to himself, I'm 25 years old. I got my whole life ahead of me. I don't want to get stuck with that. If he says no, she's sitting right next to him. She's going to question how much he really loves her. So I said, you know what? Yeah. Don't, you don't have to answer it. I apologize for asking such a difficult question. Let me ask this instead. If that accident happened to her tomorrow, would you still marry her? And he's dead silent. I said, you know what? Let's just start the class. Now, what happened there? It went from, we're in love. Yeah, duh, that's why we're here, to dead silence. Because now they got a reality check. I said, let me tell you, I said, let me tell you how I answer that question. If my wife were in an accident like that, I would go to my bishop. I would tell him to suspend my faculties for function as a deacon so I could spend the rest of my life taking care of my wife. If you're not ready for that, then you shouldn't get married. I just say it straight like, because we ain't got time to play. Playtime's over. They need the reality check. Yeah. He's, the reason why he likes this arrangement, he can half his rent paid, he's getting sex whenever he wants. She's thinking some Barbie and Ken thing, oh, we'll get married when dad's beautiful. He ain't thinking about that. Amen. He ain't thinking about it, because why? He can always get out because they're not right. married. Right. That's what he's thinking. So they need a reality check here. And I give them that reality check. And if they don't like me, God, go to Paris down the street. I even have Protestants that come to me now. Because they heard, go to that dude, yeah. you're gonna stay together forever. But our you know? culture says, well, that's hard, that's me. It is hard. But, but it's Jesus life. picking up that cross at Calvary, that was hard. But he was being spat on and mocked and punched and kicked the whole time. He says, if you are to be my disciples, disciple means someone who hears, accepts, and puts into practice in their life the teachings of Jesus Christ. You have to pick up your cross and follow me. So life is hard. What does Moses say? Moses wrote Psalm 90. Our span is 70 years or 80 for those who are strong. And yeah. most of these are emptiness and pain. Mm, that's in the office. Yes, that's it in is. Psalms. Yes, they and it's true. swiftly and we are gone. Yeah. Like that. We got one shot at this thing. And that scenario you played out does happen. Yes. It does happen. And or you have a child that dies or has a severe disability and people are gone. And it is important to talk about. And if you feel, and this is a study too, that people are able to withstand much more than they think. They have a child who it looks like has Down syndrome in the womb. And the statistics are staggering and devastating of those, chi those children who are aborted. But those who choose life, they are blessed. Everyone will tell you that. I know for us, we were handed a diagnosis. We never thought that we would be able, to, we didn't know how we were going to survive, but that's God's grace. That's God's 
beautiful perseverance, fortitude, the virtue of fortitude. But of course, we're afraid of suffering. Yes, and we, we and we're afraid of reality, I think, a lot of times. So we create these make-believe facades, whether it's on social media, whether it's through our escape mechanisms that we use, or living together and pretending that this is the way it's always going to be. So the greater act of love, truly, is to get real about it. Yes. Now I'm getting fired up. I can't ever match you. No, no, no. no. But here's the thing: we we want to avoid suffering because we think suffering is meaningless. But for us, as people of faith, it's about finding meaning in the suffering that's unavoidable. Right. See, everybody's going to suffer. Yeah. At some point, how do we find meaning in the? That's what the Catholic Church has to offer, and that's what we bring to the table. Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning, is a brilliant uh, example of that. And Father Jacques Philippe, he says... Oh, he's awesome. He's so good. And whatever we lack, God never leaves us in lack of himself. But that begins, and going back to Peter Kreeft, either you believe in God and he's everything, or he's nothing. And I think we have a lot of fluid atheism going on, where people, when you look at critical race theory, that has become their idol. I know you know this because you see there's a whole theology of that. Yes. And you're a heretic if you don't follow suit. And that's so dangerous. So we really have to be rooted because, again, this time of deconstructing our faith and what gender means, what biology means, who God is. And that is what I love more than ever about our faith. We have these ancient documents that remain and have always been the bedrock of civilizations. And to defend that, well, instead of being made in the image and likeness of God, we have a culture that's trying to make God in its own image and likeness. And what, what God's alive Satan, you will be like God. God says male and female, he created them. Well, if I feel, I'm a guy, I feel like a girl, I can be whatever I want. I could be binary, I could be 90 other different genders that I've made up that, that are, that I just made up on my own because that's how I feel. Right. You know, or, or um, you know, oh yeah, I'm married, but, I, but we can have an open marriage, you know, I, she can do what she wants, I can do what I want. What is that? That, that see, that, that goes all, all the way back where, where pleasure is God, pleasure right. becomes your God. Yes. So, pleasure is not a bad thing. God gave us pleasure. Sex is incredibly pleasurable because God wants us to participate in, and he wants us to have some joy, experience the joy that he has when he creates us. Yeah. But when pleasure comes out of its proper context as a meaning, uh, as, as a vehicle to our ultimate end, right? The, the culture takes pleasure and holds it up. Now pleasure's an end in itself. Pleasure is now your God. And we have so many people like pornography and yeah. alcohol and drugs and transgender and all this stuff. And ultimately, that's completely unsatisfying. Yeah. And that's why people kill themselves. Well, the trans people kill themselves, not because we're saying that we hate them, because we love them. Right. When they realize, oh no, I just made a mistake that I can't take back, that's why they, that, we, that's the reality here. Yeah. You know, we cannot allow this culture to dictate the pace to us. Often we, we sit back and we let this culture dictate the pace to us as Catholics. No, we need to get ahead of this thing. We need to be the ones dictating the pace of the culture. And, and, and I think it goes back to getting uh, your book list and <laughs> starting yeah, yeah. with reading some books yeah. that will give us that solid foundation and listening, because again, you do have a gift for distilling down these very complex themes and being able to offer it in a way that sticks in our heart because it's true yeah. and be able to remember that and pass that along to, to our children. You have a show called Living Stones for five years yes. now yeah. in the Cleveland market where I am. We're just picking it up on The Rock, the Catholic radio station. My show airs on Wednesday mornings. 
So tell us about that, because even if you're not in Cleveland, you can still listen to the Living Stones. Yeah, so Living Stones uh, started on a modern day radio, which is a radio network in uh, uh, Portland, Southwest Washington area. And um, I do the show with Ken Hellenius. Ken and I worked at the University of Portland. I was the police chief there and he worked in residence life. We became good friends, you know, brothers from another mother kind of a thing. <laughs> and so we started doing the show together. Now Ken got a job at the University of Notre Dame, my alma mater, right? Uh -huh. he worked, he's the communication director for the um, De Nicola Center for Ethics and yes, Culture, which is so a good. very Catholic part of Notre Dame. Yes. And so we decided to keep doing the show. We've been doing it for five years. And uh, what we've been doing recently is going through papal encyclicals, like re-looking at John Paul II, and like the 30th, we did looked at the, the 50th anniversary of Humanae Vitae. So we did a That's whole so series of shows on Humanae Vitae, and Mulier Civitatem, and a number of other documents. So we've been going through, and we talk about faith, life, culture, we, we interview authors, and you know, we really want to connect people um, to the everyday lived experience. Yeah. We really open up the church teaching, see the depth of God's love. Uh, that, that uh, God has for them in, in the depths of their heart. We need it. Yeah. Thank you. How can we pray for you? Who is your patron? Oh, my patron saints, uh, all the deacon saints. I mean, uh, okay, you, you know, mentioned. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, all, they're all my... my, my uh, but I remember getting ordained, laying on that marble. They're going through the, uh, uh, the litany of the saints. And when they got to the deacon saints, I started weeping. I'm like, who am I yeah. to follow in the footsteps of dudes like that? You know, I'm like, nobody. I'm just a smoke from Jersey. All of a sudden, I mean, it was just powerful. Those are those are my those are my patron saints. That's incredible. And and your dad. I mean, just, I, that I keep going back to the way your dad's yeah, story. Yeah, so I think the one piece I want to say about because that was step one of our reconciliation. Step two, what happened in 2012? The cancer came back. He thought he was he thought he was dying. The, the doctors couldn't do surgery because he didn't pass the heart test. For, to do the surgery because they said we're just gonna hit it with chemo and then you know he won't make it till Christmas yeah so we had a reconciliation where I asked him to forgive me for hating him for 18 years for telling his grandchildren he was wow. dead now wow. people listen to that and say well wait a minute what'd you do that for he was the one that caused her he he should be apologizing to you I said no no no. you look at the divine mercy image the rays are coming out from the heart of Jesus so what God asked us to do is be vehicles of mercy in the lives of the people that hurt us. That's really hard. But that's Jesus what God asked, Say us that to. again. Jesus asked us to be vehicles, vehicles of mercy in, in the, the lives, lives of people, people that hurt us. And so I asked my father, forgive me for hating him, not talking to him, for cutting off communication, for telling his grandchildren he was dead. That, is that was the last piece of the healing. And once we got past it, and thanks be to God, you know, um, uh, we did a bunch of rosary stuff and in the cancer, went he went in for a test on december 12th wow. our lady of guadalupe <clears throat> my brother called me he said i'm here with the doctor I'm at the hospital and i'm like oh no he's dying i'm thinking funeral flights he goes yeah that that the the mass in his cecum is gone i'm like i know it probably shifted lower and he's no it's not there i said what i said what did the doctor say they don't know what does this mean and my brother said well he's gonna make it till christmas he lived four more years. That's mercy. Four more, and now during that four years, he would say things to me, God is real, son. God is, son, I wish I knew back then what I know now. Yeah, me too, Bob, right? <laughs> Wow. So, yeah. And to think, um, you know, we started the interview where he was a Calypso singer, just thinking about the, the hymn to Our Lady that he composed and just that his life became this beautiful hymn at the end, a hymn of grace, a yeah, hymn of mercy. Yeah, it was amazing. And reconciled my mom, I never yeah. saw that coming. Yeah. 
Never saw, and I don't know what they, I still to this day don't know what they talked about. All my mom told me was that the day that I left to come out to Oregon, that she started praying a rosary every day with the sole intention of reconciling with my father before he, she died. Mm. I said, what? Mommy, that's 20 years. Roses, yes. And she never gave up. And three months later, she was dead. And God answered her prayer. That's incredible. Your mom might be a saint. That's, well, that's... I think she is, but that's just, that's just me. <laughs> You're <laughs> a, little, I'm a little biased. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I understand that. Well, it's an amazing example. I think of St. Monica, the perseverance. Oh, but I think yes. of your mom in that perseverance, mm-hmm. in that same spirit of fortitude and faithfulness. Mm-hmm. That is fidelity. That is the fiat to, to our Lord and our Lady. Mm-hmm. Thank you for the time. Your You're new book. Welcome. Thank you. Our Life of Service, the Handbook for Catholic Deaconates. Of course, this would be a great book to buy for all the deacons in your parish. It would be a great book if you are a deacon. This uh, Is this out now? I know it's brand new. Uh, November. It's out November? Yeah. Okay. So this is the advanced oh. copy. Um, this is the scoop right here. Yeah, so we had the, I made a few more edits since this uh, okay. version, but okay. uh, and the final version has the imprimatur and all that stuff too. So that we, yeah. congratulations, Thank it's you exciting. So much. And by the way, okay, I'm going to get in trouble if I don't say you. We're both with Select International. This is where yes. we're broadcasting. I mentioned at the top of the show, but you have a pilgrimage. It's to, it's to Greece. You're going to right. Greece. Yeah. Okay. Wait. Yeah, where last are you? Last week of October. Please. Thank you so much you're again. You're most welcome. Thank you, Brooke, for having me. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Wow, dynamic is right. The dynamic deacon. Again, his show is called The Living Stones. And if you haven't been listening, there's about five years of content, it sounds like, that you can catch up on. So that is a fantastic option. And also his YouTube channel as well. A new book coming out. Continued prayers, Deacon Harold, for your work, for your ministry, and for all the souls that you continue to touch. A big thanks again to Select International Tours and Cruises for sponsoring this episode and the entire podcast, making it possible to sit down with some excellent, inspiring guests like Deacon Harold and more that I shared in the top of the show that you'll be hearing in the upcoming season. Again, to visit my page to find out more about joining us on pilgrimage and where we'll be going, visit selectinternationaltours.com slash BTS. And as always, an enormous nod of appreciation to my trusty producer, Mark Cumming, for his dynamic skills and quick work. Mark is a producer extraordinaire. So for any audiovisual needs you may have, check him out at cominghomestudio.com. I will talk to you very soon when the new season kicks off, asking for prayers for me personally, for our ministry, St. Gabriel Media, for my family, humbly, as we tuck you, we tuck our listeners and our Podbean patrons always faithfully in our rosary. God bless you, friends. Until next time, peace and love.